Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. My name is Noach, and I'm a sexaholic. Uh, What brought me into this room was the pain that I was in. I was living in a... uh, As all of you can see, I dress as a religious person, but uh, my behaviors were not, and I was not able to stop. I was acting out inappropriately, spending money that was not mine on women, and uh, I was not working. I was just running after them. I stole money for that I didn't. I was a salesman. I was stealing money from my employer and just in order to give it to, to women. And I spent days and days and days. I was a salesman on the road and I never got to see the customers. I was just busy hiring sex workers and bringing them to my room and then just coming back to New York. And the boy boss says, so where's the orders? And I would just lie. I was living such a lie. I had a wife and children at the time. And uh, prior to finding my first meeting, I had, uh, most of you heard of the Empire State Building. That was the company I was working Was I was uh, located on the 21st floor. I opened up the window on the 21st floor, full of pain and agony. And I started to cry. And all I wanted to do, I asked God for the willingness to jump out the window. And I was shaking back and forth and tried to jump and I couldn't bring myself and I just pushed myself away and fell on the floor and cried like a a baby. I didn't know what type of world I was going to be in. The pain that I put my wife in and my children and missing children's birthday parties, not coming home till three, four o'clock in the morning, having police in front of my house, my wife making a missing persons reports. And uh, not ever having any money, not having money for shoes for the children to go to a new school year to buy school. And I asked my my wife to ask her father to lend her some money. And my father-in-law lent her a couple of hundred dollars to buy shoes for the children. And I took that money and gave it to my girlfriends. And this is uh, the agony I was in the double life I was in here. I wanted to have a spiritual connection yet. I couldn't have a spiritual connection because the day before I was, or the day of I was where I was. How I got into the rooms, the miraculous part of it was uh, two. It was twofold. One was that uh, there was an article and uh, a satire, uh, a satire, in the New York Post, making fun of essay, how a bunch of uh, 
sex addicts get together and they try to talk about, and they top each other's story. This was in 1989 where there was no, well, with the 12 step programs for sex addicts uh, was not, uh, and we was not real. It was not here yet. And the other thing was that I had a, a girlfriend who was, uh, who had just joined AA at the time. And, uh, she had told me she cannot see me anymore because she was in AA. She was starting a spiritual program. And then finally I said, I want to join AA too. And she said, you don't belong in AA, you belong in SA. <laughs> so that's when I went to my first SA meeting. And uh, SA is not a fun program. Now it's a fun program, but, but then it's a, it's full of shame. My first meeting, I went to, uh, it was in Hell's Kitchen. That's, that's on that section of Manhattan. And I walked into a meeting, there were 200 people there. And I thought, wow, this is great. I'm going to have new friends. And then they were all talking about uh, cocaine and drugs. And I said, uh, isn't there supposed to be, it says on the meeting list that this is supposed to be about sex. Oh, it says, your sex meeting, that's upstairs in the library. <laughs> and I came upstairs to the library. There were two other men there. And they shared that they were both HIV positive, that it was the height of the HIV crisis. And uh, the love that these two men gave me was something else. And they said, we're not sober at the time, but there are other meetings where there are sober people and you can get sober. And then I started going to meetings. And for the first time in my life, as it says in the literature, I started uh, believing or I started hearing or I started realizing that I can get through a day without acting out sexually. The topic I chose was powerlessness and acceptance. The reason is I believe that I was not powerless over this. I believe that as long as I was a better person and I did my religious, as long as I prayed hard enough or I did my spiritual work hard enough, I wouldn't act out. I didn't believe that I was powerless. You know, I just, I believe that I was all powerful and when the program told me that I'm powerless, there's nothing I can do about it. I am a sex addict. I am a sex addict. The only thing that we can offer you here in this program is a reprieve for one day. I said, what the hell are you going to, what am I going to do with one day? <laughs> I want to stop this behavior forever. So I'm sorry, this is not the place for you. We can only help you for one day. He says, what do I do tomorrow? He said, first make it through today. <laughs> I said, all I have to do is make it through today. He said, yeah, you just got to make it through today. He said, what do I do? He said, whatever it takes, but you got to make it through today. <laughs> and uh, what made what helped me get it through today was going to meetings and meeting people. In those days, we didn't have, I'm giving away my age and my sobriety date, but we didn't have cell phones. And we walked around with quarters for pay phones on the street. And I had this little book. There was no memory book. It was a little uh, book. And I started writing down people's names. And when I ever had the urge, I started calling them one after another. Quarters. I walked into a bank and I bought $10 worth of quarters. And I just would feed the, like, feed the quarters and stand on the street in quarters. As I'm talking about quarters, I remember this story. I was a salesman for a company and I had an appointment 
And I walked into the company. I said, I want to sell what I sell. And the, uh, the owner of the company completely ignores me, you know, only like they can do in New York, you know, completely ignores me. And two other guys from a much bigger uh, house, um, a representative, he goes over them. Hi, gentlemen, how can I help you? I said, but I had an appointment. He ignored me and he took in these two people and rejection for me is probably my number one trigger until even today, uh, you know, I'll talk about the acceptance. And I felt rejected, totally rejected. And the only place I can go when some rejected was to go act out. I must have been uh, sober about a year or so at the time. And I was on 19th Street and I started walking and walking and walking in the streets. And should I act out? Don't I act out? Should I act out? Don't act out. What happened down? Call, not the call. I figured I promised my sponsor, a wonderful fellow, I promised my sponsor that, I, that I'm going to call him before I act out. You know, I told him I'll call him when I, after. I says, no, 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 you call me before. <laughs> I called him up, wonderful guy, and I told him the whole story. And I said, I hear you, man. I hear you. I hear you. I said, what do I do now? He said, there's nothing to do about it. I said, but I'm going to act out. He said, you can act out, but you're going to feel like that tomorrow. What should I do? I said, the only thing I can do is that there's a meeting at 6 o'clock all the way up on 77th Street. He says, Kill time until 77th Street. Just don't act down. I started walking up. He said, can I call you every 10 blocks? He said, yeah, you can call me every five blocks. And I started walking up. Broadway cuts right across. Most of you have been in New York. You know that Broadway doesn't go up straight. Broadway goes slanty. And I'm walking up Broadway and I'm counting the blocks. One, two, three, four, five. Call my sponsor. Okay, I made it from I'm on 23rd Street. Good. Congratulations. You made it. 23rd Street, you know. He said, did you act down? I said, no, I didn't act down. You're doing great. I said, where can I go? I said, call me at 28th Street. I did the same thing all the way up. I made it to 66th Street. I got there by about 5, 6 o'clock, and the guys were outside, and I told them what happened, and they were all schmoozing and talking and said, wow, and they helped me, and they said, wow, congratulations. You made it. You made it. You made it. And I stayed to the first meeting. I stayed to the second meeting, and I cried my eyes out. And I said, "This, this disease is terrible." You know. This disease is a terrible disease. But as long as I can accept that I have this disease, and I accept that it will never ever go away, and the character defects that come along with this disease are probably worse than the disease. This arrogance that I own, this anger that I own, this blame that I own, this feeling of entitlement that I deserve, <laughs> you know, will never ever go away. I can just, I can just surrender it, you know, and I, I see glimpses of the 12 promises on a daily basis, you know, it's not as bad as what yesterday. But every day that I work the program, it comes and becomes better and better. Sometimes I, I don't answer, you know. One of my relatives opened up a mouth to me and really let me have it the other day. And you know what this sexaholic did? He kept his mouth shut. And all I said was, I hear you. I hear, I hear you, I hear you. 
I'll see what I can do about it. I see what I can do about it. And for a half hour, she was letting me have it again and again and again and again. And I came home and I said, I can't believe it. This arrogant guy that had the biggest mouth in the world that was totally powerless over his big mouth, not caring how many people he hurt, not caring how many people I was able to say, keep my mouth shut and here, so be it, you know, and turn my life and say, if this is what I need to hear, this is what God wants me to hear. So it's God's words. It's not this world's. And I came home without answering back. That's it. This is our little miracles that happen in my life. And then these are little, little miracles that happen in my life. I really thought a great part of my recovery is recovering in the rooms and recovering in the meetings. Sometimes I think I come to a meeting that everything's going to be great. What I've seen, I'm, I'm sober for over 30 years. What I've seen in the meetings, <laughs> you can write a book of what I've seen in the meetings, the people that I've met in meetings, the fights that I've seen happening. These sex addicts are really angry, angry people. And there are meetings I walk into that there's nobody sober there and they're yelling and the blaming and the fighting that's going on and And my recovery happens in the meeting, and sometimes I lose it. I lose it too. And the judgments I have on myself after the meeting, why did I do that? I'm supposed to be a sober. I'm supposed to be a role model. And then I speak to my sponsor. My sponsor says to me, who made you a role model? Who says you are a role model? You're just a low-life sex addict like everybody else in that room. You are not a role model. (laughs) Get over it. And I said, yeah, you're right. I'm a a regular sex addict, just like everybody else. The only thing that I got was I've been doing this one day at a time. I get to the pillow. I say, thank you, God. I made it through the day without acting out. I don't have to make a phone call and call up a prostitute in the middle of the night, make an appointment. I remember specific times where I had, I had this wonderful, wonderful fellow. His name was Ron. Oh, he was such a, he was one of the people I made that, uh, you know, when we came to meetings, they say anybody available to be called 24 hours a day. And this guy, Ron said, yeah, you can call me 24 hours a day. And I was at home at night. And of course, what does a sexaholic do at night? I want to be together with my wife. And she says, no, I'm unavailable now. I don't want to. And what does this uh, sex addict do? I want to manipulate. Well, come on, you know, we haven't done it in exactly 12 minutes. You know, we got to do it. And, you know, and you know, I'll be a, such a good boy. I'll buy you flowers tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm trying to manipulate. And she just says, get the hell out of here. You're a sex addict. You know? <laughs> I was so angry. I put, I went downstairs. I put on my sweater. I put on my sex addict. My, I, had a, I had this sweater I used to put on in order when I went acting out. That was like. My, my my thing, I put on the sweater. <laughs> I was going to go act down, but I called up Ron from my kitchen, and I told him I'm going to act out. He says, why are you going to act out for? Tell me what happened. I told him everything that happened. And this guy, Ron, told me, 
You know, your wife is a real bitch. <laughs> That's why I'm single. <laughs> and I started to laugh. It was the funniest thing. He told me, the truth of the matter is I was wrong. She he was right. But sometimes it would have called a different sponsor. He would have said, you know, get over it. She's right. You're wrong. No, he knew one thing. He knew that my job was to get my ass back into bed and go to sleep and don't act out. Don't roam the streets of New York at two o'clock in the morning. You know, don't act out. So he told me something sweet and loving and caring. Maybe somebody else was wrong. If I can only accept my shortcomings, if I can only accept my sexualism, if I can only accept that, I, that this disease is bigger than me, that I'm powerless, then I will. That's when I achieve. As soon as I think that I'm Mr. Sobriety, I know it all, I have the answers, I'm in hot water. And when miracles happen, for example, not answering back someone that that blames and yells at me or not being afraid of not enough money in the bank or not getting depressed when I see what it says on the scale or not, or seeing my children if they're sad and seeing maybe it's my fault that they are sad or blaming me for whatever it has. The miracles that I've had in this program are the blessings that I've had in this program. As I shared before, my work history was so, so poor, so, so poor. It took years upon years for me to build a history of accurate work. And there are, there are psychologists and scientists who talk about the connections between money and sex and that's what not, this is not talking about. I'm just talking about sticking in there, staying in there, staying in there, and to believe that I have this prestigious job and I show up there every single day and I bring home a paycheck and I work hard and I do what I have to do and I stay sober. It's miraculous. It's miraculous. I'm a people amongst people. I'm a person. I'm, I look like a normal human being. You know, it, it's not that I don't have horns out of my head. I'm not people are not. At one time, I thought the whole Brooklyn noticed me how crazy I was because my behaviors were so crazy. The, the, the absolutely insane stuff I was doing of, was so unbecoming, was so I definitely believed everyone saw it on me. The changing moods, the mood swings, the, the always not having money, always looking for a, 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 a way to make a quick buck in order to cover myself, to give some money to my family. My wife worked like a dog. She worked two, three jobs in order to support the children. And here I was spending time, you know, at times I think who is crazier, me with all my acting out behavior or she for staying with me all these years. And yet the miracle has come that she stayed with me. My marriage is a good marriage. It's a straight marriage. It's a honest marriage. There's honesty. Honesty about, about everything, you know. Can I borrow your phone? 
and then she starts going through my phone. And I don't care. Who would believe that I would, that I would not care if my wife went through my phone? She goes through my phone. I used to, years ago, I would be upset. You don't trust me? You don't trust me? <laughs> now I accept it. I'm a sexaholic, and she's entitled to go through my phone. I can be sober 30 years. She wants to go through my phone? Go right ahead. Go through my phone. Want to go through my paperwork? She wants to see the credit card bills? She sees the credit I got. I got nabbed yesterday. I went, I got a... Uh, I got a, uh, I went through, I got the speeding ticket the other day. So I got, hired a lawyer to, here in New York, you hire a lawyer in order to beat the ticket. So she sees on the credit card that I call, that I got a lawyer. I said, what did you hire a lawyer for? I said, I got a speeding ticket. How fast were you going? I said, I was going 60 when you're supposed to go 35. Answered like a little boy. Said, how much was how much is the ticket? I said, you know how it's gonna be eight points on your license, and that's it. Why didn't you tell me? I said, I didn't tell you because I was afraid you'd judge me. <laughs> Says, but I found out anyway. You found out anyway, and I'm happy you found out. No more secrets between the two of us. And I also saw on the same credit card bill, she went through a red light. And I did not say to her, Hey, darling. I see you got a red light ticket. You did the exact same thing. The lawyer told me that we have two cases with his office, one for a red light by Chaya and one for a speeding by Noah. <laughs> I did not say that. I kept my big mouth shut. The miracles of this program, the miracles of this program. I am getting better. I am getting better. Going to work, not hurting people. <sighs> My connection with my higher power is I'd like it's not where I would like it to be. I still struggle with the perfect relationship. I want the perfect relationship. I want to have a relationship that I only live in the presence of God 24/7. I want to be a saint, a perfect saint. I want to know, have these conversations with God all the time. And uh, I don't. I can be in synagogue checking messages and doing stuff like that. Or I can find myself uh, overeating and know that I'm not in the presence of God when I do that. And yet I can come back and remember to do an 11th step or to do a third step. What I like to do, I try to do a third step every single day. Looking up, stopping and saying, I'm turning my will and my life over to the care of God. That's what I try to do on a daily basis. I try to do on, on a, every day on a daily basis an 11th step. Another tool I use on a daily basis is a a gratitude list. My gratitude list starts from the most minute things, such as I thank you for the hair, the little bit of hair I have on my head. I thank you for that. 
I thank you for my eyes, my nose, my teeth. I write down the names of all my children. Thank you. Thank you very much. I write down the names of my children. I write down the names of my grandchildren. I thank God for my job. I thank God for my wife's business. I thank God for the first time in the world, in my life, I have money in my checking account. I don't have to worry about it. I thank God for that. Thank you. Thank you. My son's getting married in a couple of weeks. I thank you for that. She's a beautiful girl. Thank you. Is she perfect? No. Is she the perfect? Is she a model? Does she belong on a magazine? I don't think so. Is she okay for my son? She's perfect. She's perfect. Is my son perfect? He's a good kid. He's not perfect. This perfectionism, am I perfect? This is going to be a very difficult statement. I am not perfect. (laughs) I'm not perfect. I want to be perfect. I want to be perfect. I'm struggling over that. I'm having a hard time accepting it that I'm not perfect. But I'm not perfect. The love and the relationships that I found in the rooms have been the love and the relationships that have brought me outside of the rooms. I've learned to take the stuff that I've gotten in the rooms outside of the rooms. And the biggest thing of all was to believe that nothing is black and white. Nothing. There are gray areas in the world. There are people in the rooms that are crazy but they have strong characters. There are certain things about them that are absolutely beautiful. And Noah has a hard time accepting. Well, if he if he's cheap, if he's cheap, he didn't want to chip in for the cab we took together to go to a meeting. He's a bad person. Maybe he didn't have any money. But he has a beautiful, beautiful program. He's honest. He's sober. He is respectful to everyone. And that is what I'm learning to respect and to accept, to accept that about myself and to accept that about others and to accept that about my relationship with God. So I want to thank all of you for being there. I see we have here a big crowd, 53 people. (laughs) I feel like a celebrity speaking all over the world. Thank you for listening, and um, now I'll answer some questions if um, if I can. Well, Noah, I was uh, I came to America with my wife. She went back, and I checked out this one app to see if it was still there, a dating site, and it was on. And I shut it on, put it on. A few weeks later, it went on, on and off. I was battling back and forth, but I stayed. I didn't call anybody up in the program. One guy would call me. And I would talk to him, tell him I'm struggling, but I didn't get any meetings. I don't. I was in Brooklyn for the whole time. And for some reason, I don't know, I didn't get to that meeting. I thought, like you said, I thought I knew everything. I was already sober for many years. And at this time, uh, and I was doing the steps, and all of a sudden, I forgot everything. It all went on the head. I forgot, I forgot what the third step is and not 10 step is. I've got all the steps. Now i got to come back. If I go to my home group back in Beit Shemesh in Israel, I'm always embarrassed because I used to know everything and now I'm nothing. So how do you come back? You have to feel you were something in the program and now you're nothing. How do you have that ability to come back? Now, this is my fourth meeting. I've come to 
So I find Zoom is much safer for me to be in. But how do you come back to a regular meeting and how do you come back to the program when you feel like you failed? I finished. Thank you, Arya. Thank you Can for I answer that. Or yes, please, Noah. Uh, if you what want. I do is I make up with that, that I must go to a meeting. I go to a meeting and I say I don't have to share. Just show up, put the body in. I don't have to show up to one meeting. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying, Ari. It's very difficult. I say to myself, I'm just going to go to a meeting. That's it. Thank you, I Noah. Just put the body in a meeting. Federico, please go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. And um, uh, I'm Federico Sexaholic uh, from the UK. Thank you so much for that share. And thank you also, um, yeah, Daniel, Luke, and all the others who do service here, because uh, I you know, keep on thinking, where do they dig these people up from? Uh, it's, you know, it's really, really good speakers, one week after another. Thank and uh, thank you so much for your share. And I, I, loved, um, I loved the way, actually, when you started, it was... Uh, it's pretty heavy stuff, you know, uh, suicide, suicidal tendencies, all that kind of stuff. And I've been there. Uh, I know what it's like. But I loved how when you started talking about your first meeting and coming into your first meeting, you started smiling and suddenly you started laughing, which wasn't happening before. Uh, and I, I love the lightheartedness of your share as well. Uh, that really that really drew me. And I love the reminder, you know, as a married man as well, and as somebody who also has, you know, goes to a workplace, all the rest, I love the reminder of keep your mouth shut, you know. Uh, you know, sometimes keeping my mouth shut is a good way to shut up my ego. In step 10 in the big book, it, big book, it talks about self-restraint as the first step. And for me, very often, that is the difficult thing to do, restraining myself, restraining my big fat ego. So it's a really good reminder for me in marriage. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Federico. Please don't forget to uh, raise your hands, virtual hands, if you want to share. And if, as nobody did it so uh, at the moment, I'm going to jump in. Um, thank you so much, Noah, for your share. I, I could relate to, to so many things. I'm living on the other side of the world. I'm not an Orthodox Jew. And at the same time, there's so many in your story, so much in your story that I can relate to. The bad things and bit by bit the good things also. What I could relate to also was the, the complete craziness and unmanageability of the, of the addiction. Prostitutes wasting thousands of euros. But also what you said, the character defects are even worse than the lust disease. And I can relate to that. My arrogance, my rage my judging, my fear uh, to only call a couple of them. And then what I want to come to is I'm a newbie compared to you. Yeah. Uh, but after 11 years, I still have periods that I'm overeating or the last months. Seconds. Thank you so much, Arash. Or the last months movie binging. And fortunately, by the grace of God, they're safe movies. But I tend to beat myself up for it. I'm not perfect. I should not be overeating anymore. I'm not overeating like in the past. I'm off sugar. Thank God, one day at a time. But still, I'm not doing it perfect. Yeah, I should be a role model, etc., etc. So what else could you give a guy like me as experience, strength, and hope to not beat myself up? Thank you. They say in AA, 
when your person says I should, I should, change it to I shit and I shit on myself. Every time you say I should, you're meaning I'm shitting on myself. Stop shitting on yourself. <laughs> Thank you. That's short but good. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy, please go ahead. Hi, I'm Nancy Sexaholic. Thank you so much, Noah. I really appreciate your share. I really can identify with not with having a big ego and then actually these days being afraid of not having a big ego. Um, took me six years in this program to get sober. I I did not want anything to do with acting out, but I wanted to keep lust and then realized I need to give up the, the right to lust. Um, was asked by a dear woman in Israel to come and teach her how to show the steps. This is now 2004 and I have five years and oh, big shot Nancy, five years of sobriety. And actually while I was there, I chose, I guess by the sobriety definition, not, not to act out, but less so much lust into my system that eventually several months later did. Um, there's actually two people on this call who, when I've gone places to share, I've prayed, literally prayed, God, the first thing I want to do is have to make amends to somebody in the program just to shoot that ego of mine. And I'd like to know other kinds of tricks. If you have tricks just to keep your ego in place. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nancy. Very difficult. The ego is uh, very, very difficult. And uh, as I said before, if nothing more helps, is just keep my mouth shut. Keep my mouth shut and worry about it later, you know. Because uh, what happened uh, to me the other day happened late at night, happened at 10 o'clock at night. And for 10, from 10 to 10.30, I, I heard how terrible a person I am and how terrible a person my son is. And I just came home. I did nothing about it. I woke up in the morning. I felt great. So hmm. push it off till tomorrow. One day at a time. Just push it off. Don't act out on ego. Powerlessness. Acceptance. I'm an egomaniac. Thank you, Noah. Ring, Luke. Ring, go ahead. Oh. Thank you. Um. No, you are a true, beautiful soul. And your share really touched my heart. Your vulnerability and your honesty and the journey you've taken is truly inspiring. And I uh, relate to and um, having my addiction, my addiction leading me to make choices that were severely selfish and put my kids in a lot of danger and were very hurt. And when you share the story of not having the money for their shoes and then getting the money and then using it for your own pleasure, I just it broke my heart open. So I really appreciate you being willing to share that. Thank you. Hey Luke, there was, there was a question in the chat, by the way. Okay, I will look at it. Joseph, I believe. Joseph C. Oh, yes. And thank you for sharing, Rain. So Joseph C. from Toronto, he had a question. So Noah, you spoke about your honesty with your wife. May I ask 
if you have an emotional connection with your wife. Yes. <laughs> That's the short answer. <laughs> Could you elaborate or is that enough? Yes, she has stuff that makes her happy. I have stuff that other happiers and we meet in the middle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not everything that she likes. She may like Chinese and I, I she's vegetarian. I like Chinese. It's not going to happen, but you know. So we'll go to a restaurant where they serve vegetarian and Chinese and we'll talk. We, we have connections on, on stuff that, uh, that uh, our children, our grandchildren are together, our uh, stuff that uh, as far as uh, she says uh, certain, she says that I have a lousy, uh, a lousy uh, taste in the clothes I wear. I said, would you be willing to go? She comes with me to buy clothing. So uh, emotionally, we get connected and we talk about it. She says, I don't want you to spend more than $100 on, uh, without telling me. You know, and when I cheat on her and I said that, yes, I spend $300 on the lawyer, I eventually get it. So, so emotionally, she understands that. She just wants to, she says, I'm suffering from sadness. And I just want you to laugh. Please don't heal me. Just say jokes and make it happy. I try to accept that. I tell her how fearful I am. You know, I come home every day from work saying that I've been fired. She laughs, says, you should, did you get your green slip yet? Not yet, but I'm, I'm going to come to work tomorrow. They told me they fired me. <laughs> this happens every day. We have this relationship. I say I want to eat in the kitchen. She says she wants to eat in the dining room. We discuss it. And we discuss why. So... Like grown couples do, <laughs> not like sexaholics. <laughs> Thank you, Noah. Uh, people with less than 30 days can share also now. And I see that Joseph B. raised his hand. Go ahead, Joseph. Noah, Yashkoach, beautiful, beautiful sharing. Uh, really touched me. Uh, I... Very creative, very humble. Uh, the question I have, I've been in this program since 2006. I have various years and months of sobriety. And currently, I'm really struggling to stay sober. The worst that it's been. And the problem is I have tremendous amount of resentment, particularly to one member of my family. I've done many steps. I've been praying for him for months, really praying three times a day, four months, two months, one month, I don't know, but every day. And it's not going. It's not. It's just, it's just as force, uh, forceful and powerful than it is before. What do you recommend for me to do besides what I've done so far? Well, it wasn't clear what you did so far. But the anger that you think you're angry, you're angry now, wait till you get a few years of sobriety. The anger just gets worse and worse. The anger gets high. It gets up and up. It's like a kettle going up and up. My anger was pushed down by my acting out. Less I act out, the anger gets up. I remember I was walking in, in Borough Park on 17th Avenue and a car stopped by. I, I was sober a couple of uh, uh, maybe been a year or so, and this guy yells out of his car, hey, dirty Jew. <laughs> I 
I ran home. I got my car. I followed this guy and I met him up and I had a stick in my car. I was about to <laughs> beat the guy up. And his girlfriend was saying, no, my boyfriend is crazy. He apologized to me, apologized to me, ran off. And I came to a meeting. I told them what I did. And they all said, no, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. So what? You're out of your mind. Yes, I'm an angry guy. That's the anger. But I went back to a meeting. I shared about it. And my anger gets up. My anger, my anger gets up. And luckily, once in a while, people at the meeting will tell me, if not this guy, that guy, until finally somebody, you're going to realize that it's not them, it's not them, it's not them, it's me. It's my problem. I get, I'm such an angry bastard. I'm waiting for somebody to blame for my anger until I'm going to let go, until I'm going to get on my hands and knees and beg God, please remove this anger and just a little bit will get removed one day at a time, a little bit, just like my sexaholism, my need to run around at three o'clock in the morning is not there anymore. Maybe my need to be angry at everyone and everywhere won't be there all the time. Thank you, Noah. Claudia? Hi. Thank you so much for this meeting and thank you, Noah, for your share. I'm really grateful that I could listen to you and hear your story. I'm really touched. Um, what came to me was when I'm listening to a man like you being sober so long, um, it's like an immense uh, for me because um, I was abused by my grandfather and he was a sex addict. And when I hear you talking, I I can see my grandfather and and see that he he he's, he was sick and it helps me it helps me really to yeah to 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 get further with my having compassion and forgiveness. And I have this for a long time in, in, in SA when, when men are, are sharing their, their strange and hope and experience and being sober for a long time. It's always, I'm acting out too, but it's always like this men are doing a lot of immense also to us women. And I want to thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you, Claudia. Zevi, go ahead, please. Zevi, great recovery, sexaholic. Thank you, thank you, Noah, for your share. Didn't see you in a long time. Uh, yeah, I uh, was getting very emotional when you told the story about going every five blocks and making a phone call and uh, just the, the the commitment that you had that you have for sobriety. And also, I appreciate the topic of acceptance, which I. Uh, struggle a lot with to accept myself that this is who I am and I can get angry at people and, and, and I admire your humility. I think this is the thing that goes for you, that the humility, you just come in a meeting and talk about all your stuff very openly. And I just want to accept myself for today. Thank you so much for your share. Thank you, Zevi. Good to see you too. <laughs> Thank you, Zevi. Maybe the last one, uh, maybe one more. Uh, Patrick O. 
Patrick, we can't hear you. Yeah, you are muted. Hi. Hi, this is Patrick. And thank you so much for sharing. I was, I'm driving, I was driving and I was crying. Can you guys hear me? Yes, yes. It's, it's, you're a bit Can cutting you out, okay? but we can't hear it. Is that better if I just took the radio off? Yes, yeah. I think so. Yep. Is that better if I took the video off? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I thank you so much for sharing. I I'm uh, was driving and I was crying and I was laughing and I was crying and I just thank you so much. I I um I don't, I'm I'm so grateful to be sober. When Luke said we met 11 years ago, I felt some sadness because I've been a chronic relapser, but I, I've been sober since January 11th and um It's it's different this time. I don't know what's different, but something's different. And I just thank you. So I gosh, I'm... <laughs> thank you. Drive safely. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm parked. I'm parked now. I'm parked. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I don't know. Right, I just want to go park. Thank you. Just thank everybody. This is thank you. I don't know what to say, but just thank you. <laughs> thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. Well, let's have one last chair. Shipra? Shipra, you have to unmute. Hi. Hi. Yes. Uh, it's not a share. It's a question. <clears throat> so, uh, Nora, how do you know that now the relationship that you're building with your wife is since you don't really have an option to go or step out of the sobriety definition and you have to have to be with your wife only, how do you know that your lust is not manipulating because you don't have any option to, to, to get out of the sobriety definition? How do you know, not know that this is still manipulation? Yeah. Act, lust inside the marriage is a topic totally, totally, totally uh, for a whole discussion. Maybe Luke will uh, invite me back a different time. We can talk about that. Uh, I work many, many sponsors, many, many hours on, uh, uh, on it. And uh, basically uh, where I'm up to right. And it's changed. It's evolved over the years. And uh, basically it has been, Uh, where it's up to today is uh, only when she wants. That's where I'm up to today. It's not. It has nothing to do with me. I've totally surrendered. Thank you, Noah. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.